I don't know about any of you, but this has, I suppose, with you as well, been a week that's been exhausting. A week sort of, of uh, narrowing our options for, for actions and activities. A week for really disrupting our places of work, um, disrupting the businesses and the world, disrupting the, the agencies that are there to serve people's needs. And the needs have not grown smaller, they've grown larger. And to that, of course, we have the addition of the predictable overnight wintry mix of rain and snow to greet us in the morning. So what's interesting, though, is that it's struck me as it's also weak for giving us opportunity to give in to the stoic side of ourselves. Um, at my best, I, I aspire to be a stoic. but. If, if you hear sort of the basic summary of what it means to be Stoic, you'll know that it's something that I struggle with as, as well, because it says, don't get uptight about that, which is beyond your control. Um, if we can do that, somehow the Stoics say, we can find happiness. And that's not a bad starting plate, but thankfully, though that makes a lot of sense, that's not where our texts really leave us. They help us to live a life fully but not to be taken down by the difficulties of life. So let's talk today about hopelessness and hope. And the word freed and released is really what's on my mind, the words of Jesus, to free Lazarus, to release him from the cave of death. So let's think about the tough stuff first, the hopelessness issue. Look at those texts. If you look at uh, Ezekiel 37, the starting point is a vast valley that's covered with skeletons. That's, that's dry bones. That is the absence of life. This is the starting point of the passage. And it's about, therefore, what seems to be the hopelessness of a nation's future. The hopelessness of any possibility of having an ongoing life together as a people. And it's fascinating because we see the challenges, if we look at the scriptures, of ancient Israel's history and the ways in which those types of barriers arose. That is, barriers that would sap people, typical people of hope. And so if we looked at the beginning, you have the story of Abraham, Abraham, who as Abram, before his name was changed, was called to establish a nation. And that required daring on his part and his willingness to leave behind the stuff that he knew about, that he was familiar with, in order to go to a place, a blurry future, to see what the possibilities could be. Then, if we move down the road a little bit, you have Moses in Egypt, where the nation had landed under his forefather Joseph, and Moses being one who had to muster the courage to lead a people. Now, as tough as we sometimes feel about our leadership in the world, Moses is a great example of how it's really hard to lead people. You know, it's, it's a tough thing. We human beings are, are puzzling, um, a puzzling species that it's not always easy to figure out how to lead. And Moses is one who was willing to take that on, hesitantly at first, wisely that hesitation, but one in which he was willing, a, a, an opportunity for leadership that, he, uh, leadership that he was ultimately willing to embrace in order to lead a nation into dramatic change so that they could survive as a people. Now we think of some of the women in the Bible, and we think of Ruth, 
in her willingness, the grandmother of who? Do you happen to remember? King David. Grandmother of King David willing to stick around with her mother-in-law, Naomi. The tradition told her that Ruth needed to go back to her people. She wouldn't do it. She stayed with Naomi. And she became the grandmother of the greatest king of Israel's history. Committed to her and a future kingdom. And then the last example I think of from, from the Hebrew Bible is Esther. Esther in Persia, in a situation in which the ancient Israel, people of Israel were being threatened, one of the earliest threats of Holocaust, and she needed to see if she could muster the courage to confront the emperor and to block that tragedy from happening, and she did. So in the midst of this hopelessness of Ezekiel, we have this, this history of people, and the question was, was there going to be a hope-based response to the threat of their identity? A tough passage to consider, dry bones. We look at John 11, what is, it's much more personal, and it's hopelessness within a family. And here is Lazarus, in a patriarchal society with these two sisters, and Lazarus is going to die. And that's a specific threat to their future. It makes them vulnerable in, in their family. Now, this is very interesting, this, this relationship, too, because clearly they knew Jesus, and there was a closeness there. If you look to the story in, in Luke's gospel of Mary and Martha, that, that place in which there's the tension between a commitment to hospitality and what it means to be somehow attentive to, to Jesus, and how do you figure that out? Mary and Martha are in the middle of that in a conversation with Jesus. They are known. They, are, they have a relationship. They are known by Jesus. We go over to John. And here they felt comfortable enough with this person to invite him, and not and simply invite him, but to seek him out because their brother, they knew, was in serious trouble health-wise. And in the very next chapter, after this event has happened, Mary will be the one who anoints Jesus and prepares him to go to the cross. So these are a group of people, a family, that knew Jesus well. And they invite him in, and he comes in, and what he finds is a household grieving. He sees one of the sisters already weeping, that is Mary. He sees the community around her weeping, probably people who had a calling to, and this was part of the culture of the day, a calling to be grievers, to help people deal with their loss. And so not only does he see those, but he himself is moved. And we see this picture of hopelessness there set up at the beginning of the passage. The dry bones in Ezekiel, a grieving family in John chapter 11. And just reflect on your own lives. You, you've known loss, or you've known people who have experienced loss. People who have experienced perhaps not loss, but the threat thereof, and therefore hopelessness. One story I go to regularly as I reflect on this is my own father's existential crisis. Whenever he was in the middle, he was late middle age and trying to make a decision about a profession because things had not worked out in the way that he expected. And so one of his friends from church, um, who was a 
just a great salesman in auto parts, invited him to be a part of that. And that meant traveling around. We lived in Fremont, Ohio at that point. It meant traveling around the southern part of the state. That was the region that this fellow had asked my dad to take care of. The deal was this. My father was an engineer, marvelous critical thinker, but he was not a salesman. That was not his gift. And he tried this out for several months, and he found himself on a road in southern Ohio and asking himself whether he should take that VW van filled with those parts and just drive it right into the tree on the side of the road. And that's when he knew he had to stop. That hopelessness had taken him captive, and he needed to reflect, and he needed to ask God to show him the way. And needless to say, within the week, he was no longer a salesman and pursued a path of discernment and landed in perhaps his most fulfilling job, working for a junior college and a consultant in the area of, of business. Hopelessness can, can, can attack us personally that way. And we as a world are experiencing the threat of that as well. In the midst of pandemic, this whole coronavirus pandemic, the statistics as of 7 o'clock this morning, 671,000 people infected in at least 171 countries, at least 31,569 deaths. Italy, 10,000 deaths. Spain, 6,500 deaths. Mainland China, 3,300. Iran, 2,600. France, 2,300. The United States, over 2,100. And in the UK, United Kingdom, almost 1,200 deaths. And the deal is this. These are the deaths of people, all of them children of God, all of them creatures. And somehow, we're forced, and for some reason at this time, we're forced to face that. And think of what the implications can be for countries. Think about India, where, that has 45 million day workers. And because of the shutdown of India, are unable to pay the rent for their apartments in the cities where they live. Some of them live several hundred miles from home and are lining up. If you can see pictures in the paper and online, pictures of thousands upon thousands of people at bus places, bus stops, trying to get bus home to their homes because make their way home to their families because they have no way to, to sustain themselves where they are. And all of this because of the coronavirus. Think of Afghanistan that's not only dealing with the virus, but the continuing conflict. The continuing conflict that has not been resolved by efforts to create peace. And again, those who are seeking to create conflict using the coronavirus as a point of vulnerability to act. War, coronavirus, poverty, and then also borders that are vulnerable. Borders vulnerable to Iran, where there's such a significant amount of the problem. And then you see how it plays out when it stresses a society, a well-to-do society like the United States, perhaps the wealthiest in the world, where our sisters and brothers in the Asian American community this week suffered 650 racist acts against them. That's the ones that have been recorded. That the ignorant of our country 
turned to absurd, hateful attacks and a time when too many leaders confused a meaning action with noble leadership. Stress is not used as an opportunity for growth and unity, but in that case, stress is an excuse for hatred, for divisiveness. I don't know, I don't, I don't see that being too hopeful on the face of it. Yet we, on the other hand, are called to paint a different picture. And the texts tell us that there's a different opportunity. I love the rattling boats passage. Anytime I read that in Ezekiel 37 and I read that passage, uh, the bones were rattling. Remember that great word from your English class? Uh, I think it's onomatopoeia. That a word makes, seem, the word that describes something actually makes the sound that it seems to be describing, a rattling. The bones rattling. The rattling of those bones was hope, awakening. It's as if there was a cosmic respirator breathing hope into the lives of a people experiencing real despair in captivity in Babylon. And so not, only, not mere individuals, but the whole group of them, the whole nation of individuals arose in that moment when the breath of hope was breathed into them from grief to hope. Yeah, it's a really amazing thing to think of that passage from John where you have Mary and Martha. They, they're, they're, they're grieving because of basic loss. Just basic loss, existentially, once again, threat to their ability to live. And the mourners that are with them that are not necessarily part of the family are there really as instruments, as one's called, to a ministry of therapy to enable them to experience the catharsis of, of, of dealing with your grief fully. Jesus seems to come in with that same spirit as well, that empathy, but it's more. Jesus, it's on one, on, at the same time that he's feeling empathic, is, is witnessing despair and grieving despair and wanting to give hope. That seems to be the really powerful thing. And so that, that uh, verse, uh, I think it's the verse 44 of chapter 11, unbind him, let him go. Despair is not the last word in God's plan for reality. Hope is supposed to be our slogan. And so we seem to get two messages here. The promise of a meaningful future not only for the nation, but also for an individual, for a, an individual household. And also the possibility of a future that is not your doing. That the possibility comes from elsewhere, that God provides that. And quite honestly, you don't know the chapter, how the, this chapter of your life is going to end. Um, to believe in the promise of God does not know, mean that you know the mind of God. Sometimes people confuse those two. And that you know the strategy of God. And that you know what the options are going to be, probably multiple options into the future, to try to affirm a path and to embrace a path of hope. But I think we are called to a certain yearning for that hope. And not only that, we're turned, and that's certainly the case in our present crisis, to community. 
It was the community of ancient Israel in Ezekiel. It was the community of the Lazarus, Mary, Martha household, and the surrounding community with them that was the source of their assurance and hope. And that's what we have to experience today. It's a really interesting thing to see how that's played out this week. I mean, it's interesting to try to work on online classes. I've taught online classes, I think, for 10 years now, 10, 11 years. Or it was when I first did that, I should say. And so turning back to that's reminding me of how it used to be when I did some work at uh, CSS. And what's fascinating is that the key whenever you do have face-to-face -face using Zoom is what we're using, um, it's not the learning activities themselves that quite matter. It's the fact that they're seeing each other's faces. I, I'm an advisor for the senior class, and my advisory, they, what we had to talk about, there were certain things that we had to touch base with, but they were just really glad to see each other and sort of excited about that. Um, connection was really seen, uh, what seemed to be the issue. And Robin and I last week had touched uh, base with our son and daughter-in-law are hoping to do that this weekend with, with uh, Mary and uh, Nick in Pittsburgh. That's the stuff, I mean, wanting to make sure that we're okay, wanting to make sure that we're coping well. It's a communal thing that we're working on here. Perhaps the most powerful thing as we think of larger society is the way in which music has been used to connect. Um, and I think perhaps it started with the Italian community. Um, people restricted to their homes, yet going out on their balconies and singing to one another and playing instruments for one another. And so it wasn't surprising that we then see Yo-Yo Ma playing from home, the great cellist. Well, it wasn't surprising perhaps then to see the students at Berkeley College of Music in Boston recording of all their isolated locations and then laying the tracks together so that it had a harmonic hold to it, recording what the world needs now is love. Physically isolated, yet united by the power of music. And it wasn't surprising, therefore, when the Toronto Symphony and all of their apartments and homes recorded their various parts, the various instruments of the symphony, of Copeland's Appalachian Spring. And what a great choice of music as we move into spring, as we move into towards Easter, and the message of life and hope in the midst of despair. I close with these thoughts. I think of a Syrian tank driver who told the story of having been commanded by his officer to shoot anything that moved. That one of his fellow tank drivers did precisely that and shot a farmer and his cow simply because they moved. And something broke within him. And he knew he had to get out of there. So he did. And he moved to a place where he could be a creative presence in the lives of others, rather than one who was creating terrible pain and suffering and death. I think of a young person hearing the story of a young person who embraced their full identity, and yet that identity was rebuffed by their parents. And yet what they did in taking that path was discovering 
a new community that welcomed them in and a new family was formed. The possibility of taking a path of hopelessness or a path of hope is there before us. We can be people who seek to empower. We can be people who, in our brokenness, pursue uh, empowerment and liberation. Or we can be people who offer brokenness to others or people who seek it. I think the body of Christ knows what it's to be about. May we be precisely that, people of liberation, of taking people down paths away from their brokenness, away from despair, and fully embracing hopefulness in the resurrection. Let's take a moment to pray. Would you pray with me? We do so thank you, Lord, that you offer us and seek to do so every day, windows and doorways of opportunity to go the path of peace and wholeness, of love and empathy and hope. Grant us the insight and the courage to take those paths. We ask it all in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen.